My mom puts dinner on the table. I'm asking you. No, no, oh, okay. And, oh. No, forget that. In a few seconds, you're going to witness some of the most shocking interrogation footage that we've ever received. I'm going to take your burden pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> You ain't nothing. You telling me you understand? We make mistakes. No, 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 no. Here, let me spell it out for you. N. Oh. No. Forget that. I did do it. You know what? Yeah. I know we're all put on this earth. The incomprehensible story behind it will prove to be all the more horrifying. I know how to use a knife. Right. Real well. Real well. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Hey, Mambo. Mambo Italian. Hey, Mambo. Next time we get arrested, George Warren, at least for that Raider shirt. On January 24, 2007, the quiet confines of Boise, Idaho would be changed forever when 42-year-old mother Judith Wyndham is found gruesomely murdered in her own home. Her 16-year-old son, Ethan Wyndham, would ultimately be the one to stumble across the horrifying scene. And so begins one of the most disturbing investigations we've ever seen. However, as authorities sit down with the distraught teenager, they can't help but wonder if his terrifying story is just a ruse, hiding something much more sinister. In the early morning hours of January 25, 2007, Craig Wyndham is frantically woken by his wife. She tells him that his son, Ethan Wyndham, has arrived at their house in hysterics. Ethan lives with his mother, Craig's ex-wife, Judith Wyndham, also known as Judy. Ethan had left his home that morning, setting off to his father's house on foot in the freezing winter temperatures, all for one terrifying reason. Craig quickly gets out of bed and runs to meet Ethan in the living room, where his son can barely speak. But when he finally does, he utters a disturbing set of words. His mom, Judy, is dead. Craig immediately calls police who were dispatched to Judy's address, as well as to his own home. However, not a single person could have anticipated the absolute nightmare that was just beginning to unfold. Hi, Ethan. Dr. Stevens. Were you at your mom's house tonight? Were you sleeping? I was on my couch. On your you couch? On my, on my chair. Okay. I sometimes fall asleep watching the movies. Okay, I understand. And where was your mom at when you were when you were sleeping or you were hanging out? She's in her room. She's in her room? Yeah. When was the last time you saw her? What time? Nine o'clock. I believe I came home from my friend Matt. Okay, and that's when you, 9 o'clock tonight? Yeah. And that's when you saw your mom? Yeah, I saw her and she was in her bed. Okay, was she fine and awake when yeah, you, yeah, you talked to her? Yeah, she, and she was in her bed? Yeah, she was okay. You just trying to take it easy, and we'll call the paramedics over there, and we're going to get police over there and see if she's okay. If you just stay calm and breathe good, you should be okay. Ethan seems to struggle to comprehend the unbelievable sight that he's just witnessed but authorities are eager to speak with the 16-year-old. And he has quite the story to tell. They quickly take him in for questioning while another set of officers make their way to Judy's home on Normandy Drive. 
what they discover is disturbing beyond belief. There's blood everywhere, guys. It's going to be a head. There's dried blood on the floor of the bedroom. Yep. There's pictures of a couple of kids in the, in the kitchen uh, cabinets, and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of cards for St. Luke's uh, medical clinic. Like all these kids are freaking whacked out on some kind of medication. Oh, yeah, and these are the boys right there. That one right there, that's your suspect. The bigger one, probably. It's something straight out of a horror movie. 42-year-old Judy has been murdered in her own bed. Authorities later reported that her face was disfigured beyond recognition, and it appeared that someone used a shotgun in the incomprehensible crime. However, police will soon discover that the deranged killer used more than just one weapon. The following interrogation has never been seen before. It's been analyzed by a qualified team, including a licensed professional counselor, a licensed clinical psychologist, and a former detective, former licensed polygraph examiner, and former hostage negotiation commander and instructor. The detectives now sit across from 16-year-old Ethan, and they read him his Miranda rights. In the state of Idaho, police are generally free to interrogate minors without any limitations, beyond constitutional provisions that would equally apply to adults in a similar situation. The minor doesn't have to have someone present to represent their interests prior to questioning until and unless the minor specifically makes a request for counsel or the presence of a parent or guardian. In that case, an interrogation would have to stop upon the request. The detectives ask Ethan if he would like his father to be present during the interrogation, but Ethan states that he would like to continue without his father in the room. Can you tell me what happened tonight? Uh... I was sleeping in the chair in the living room. You know, lights are off and everything. I got woken up to this kind of, you know, uh, you know, that really loud, just thud kind of noise. And, you know, uh, I have no idea what that is, you know. The detectives jump right into questioning Ethan without spending any time building rapport. This can be very detrimental as rapport building is not just about getting the other person to talk, but also to build a foundation of a relationship, which can then minimize the person's anxiety and get them to relax, open up more, or even to trust the interrogator. I, I saw my mother earlier around nine o'clock, which would be fine when I, right before I started watching it with me. And I watched the movie, you know, while sleeping, but I'm in the chair. And then I came, saw that, you know, like it, it was all the lights were off in the house anyway. But, you know, kind of got a glimpse that something was going on, you know, and, um, you know, what's going on? The guy was wagging her. And her. It's noteworthy that Ethan not only says the guy was whacking her and stabbing her, but that he also motioned the actions. These movements were remarkably in sync for him allegedly just seeing the actions. We've been to the house, okay, so we kind of have an understanding of what happened. And like I told you before, 
we kind of know a little bit about everything that, that went on tonight before yeah. we even came in to talk to you. Mm-hmm. you understand that, Ethan? Yeah. Ethan's fast and repeated head nodding here is likely an indication of anxiety. However, he may be reeling from his traumatic experience of finding his mother dead. I know quite a bit about you and your mother and your relationship. Yeah. So what I'd like to do, Ethan, is kind of, kind of rewind a little bit to the beginning, you know, to tonight, all right, you, uh, when you're at home with your mom and kind of, you, kind of have you start over. Because I think what's happening is you're kind of going down the wrong path, okay? It's no secret that Ethan and his mother had a tumultuous relationship, to say the least, but authorities have only scratched the surface of the horrifying nightmare that was hidden behind closed doors. Did you go to school today? I did. On Wednesday? I did, but I had to go home early because I was having these weird spasms over my body. Even though he's answering the questions, Ethan is still pretty closed off with his arms tightly crossed. Though we can't totally see his legs, it looks like they're also crossed and aimed away from the investigator, indicating that Ethan has his guard up and isn't super engaged with the investigator. The investigator should have engaged in rapport building before he started questioning him, because it may have prevented him from being quite so closed off. I really want to go around the full day, you know, take my own step, and all time just have a Spasm in my legs, so I, I called him my dad and had him back home. What happened after that, Ethan? After that, uh, after you woke up sleeping from the this afternoon, you know, when did your mom come home? I don't know, mainly around three or so. I just sit there in the chair, just kind of watching some movies. Just kind of movies where you watching. Happy accidents. Happy what? Happy accidents. Have you ever seen that? No. So you and your mom were watching these together? No. She wasn't, you know. Ethan goes into a long tangent, setting up his timeline. He shakes his head no when saying the time his mom came home, as well as that he was watching some movies, indicating a slight brain and body disconnect. I don't know, mainly around three or so. Notably, he thinks about it and then names a movie he said he's seen over and over, which is an easy way to keep his story straight if he's lying. Sometimes she would come, you know, and actually do watch some of the movie. Did she take a nap yesterday, being Wednesday, after school? Yeah. Ethan had a rather interesting taste in film, but there would be one movie in particular that he favored above the rest. Authorities will soon learn exactly which movie that is, and Ethan's terrifying reasons as to why he loved it so much. Uh, a little later, I worked out with my friend. He lives across the street. And I usually work out in my house because I got uh, you know, a little gym set up in my house, but, you know, I just said, go work out with him because he said he wanted to work out. <laughs> you know. You're a big guy, and it looks like you've been working out pretty hard. 
Ethan's recent interest in fitness was growing into borderline obsession. Over the last several months, he had gained a significant amount of weight. According to official police documents, the teenager was consistently drinking weight gainer and may have been using steroids, although there was a strange explanation behind his sudden newfound hobby. As he continues with his story, he states that he returned home from his friend's house around 8.30 that night. Judy was reportedly asleep in her room at this time. Ethan decided to sit down in his chair in the living room where he supposedly watched several films before falling asleep. He would apparently be woken to the horrifying sounds of his mother being gruesomely murdered. What I told you is a referral statement, and Ethan delivers it pointedly. In contrast, though, he does a few exaggerated head nods and a slight one-shoulder shrug when saying, when I woke up, which indicate his anxiety and low confidence in what he's saying. Along with the intense eye contact he's making with the detective, it's clear Ethan is really trying to appear honest. Ethan, understand. Understand the whole thing's okay. Yeah. We've been over to your house. All right. We have a pretty good understanding of what happened. Yeah. I'd like to be you to tell me what happened. Ethan. Okay. You need to be honest with me. And tell me what truly happened today or yesterday. Okay. You do that, Ethan. I am. Can you do that for me? I want you to tell me something that's, that's been made up or anything like that. I want you to tell me the truth. I understand. You do that, Ethan. Yeah, I understand. Did you notice that? Ethan repeatedly nods his head again once the detective applies more pressure. As he talks, his hands and arms are moving like they should be involved with his words, but he's keeping them tight across his chest so that they can't betray him. He very rarely drops the barrier and allows his hands to be expressive as you would in normal conversation. Watch when he does use his hands, though as they're often in exaggerated, slightly unnatural movements, as though he's thinking too hard. I, I, I told you to, well, no, you didn't tell me the truth yet. I need you to go ahead and tell me the truth. Well, then when, what's the truth? I understand you, you're having, you have some issues, okay? I understand that, that you, uh, you've had problems at school. I understand that, that, uh, that uh, you've had some fights with your mom in the past. That's normal. I mean, that's what, that's what teenagers do, right? We sometimes we don't get along with our parents. And that's understandable. Okay? But I honestly need you to, to rewind what happened then yesterday. Tell me so what? No, I need you to tell me. Listen. See, that's the part, listen. That's, that's the part you're not listening. You're not understanding. I'm, I'm listening, but you're right. telling no, you're me. you're not listening. Because I am, you're, you can because you're telling me, but you're telling me. Right. And you want to hear, you Ethan is attempting to get the detective to tell him what they know and what evidence they have so that he can get his story to match and not give away more than he has to. What I want, what I want to do is I want you to tell him. I, I want you to be an honest man, okay? I'm trying to tell me I'm not. Tell me exactly what happened there. I'm, okay. I'm I, think, I think you I think you feel bad, okay? 
Okay, and I think I don't I'm not calling you a liar, okay? No, you just I'm not calling you a liar. No, 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 I'm not calling you a liar even. You just no no no, I'm not calling you a liar. I'm saying I think we need to go back and revisit what happened so we can walk through in your words what exactly happened over there. Ethan sticks to his alibi, but the detective is under the impression that there's something he's holding back. And by the end of this shocking interrogation, a crazy and completely unexpected revelation will be made. For now, Ethan is confronted by the other detective in the room. I've been working homicides for 30 years. And there's a couple of things that I need to tell you. Everybody makes mistakes. Okay? And I want you to listen to me. You've made a big mistake. We understand. I want you to listen to me first, okay? We already know what went in there. Here's something we need to understand. Number one, you don't know that I mean, you don't know that there wasn't a surveillance van outside that house that we've had planted there working on somebody else and has a 360-degree camera facing on your front door. Nobody went in or outside of your house, period, until you left. Nobody. Despite the interrogator not sounding particularly convincing here about the 360 camera, Ethan's facial expressions give him away. It's like the look that a child gives you when you're calling them out on a lie. He clearly thinks he's got it together and has a good story, but he doesn't, and it shows all over him, especially in his incredibly conspicuous and exaggerated facial expressions. Secondarily, I know your fascination with Mr. Ellis and the whole thing there. So I'm here to say, oh, okay. And you changed the answering machine. Are you listening to me? The detective references the author Brett Easton Ellis, who's most notable for his 1991 novel, American Psycho. Ethan is a big fan of his work. However, his fascination with the fictional story has transformed into an unsettling obsession. The story is set in Manhattan in the late 1980s, and it follows the life of a mid-twenties wealthy investment banker who lives among the Wall Street elite. The well-educated and meticulously well-manicured Patrick Bateman, who narrates the story, earns his fortune by day, but is a ruthless serial killer by night. In addition to its novel form, a satirical psychological horror film was released in 2000. Of course, to Ethan, it was much more than just a book or a movie, as you'll see. He's not calling you a liar, but what he's saying is we know what happened didn't happen. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. You hurt your mother. And I know you have that. Well, that's what we're here to do. Why would that, that's what we're here to talk to you. Why would that hurt her? Listen to me. Ever for no reason. mistakes. For no reason? First of all, do you know the difference between right and wrong? Child, I, of course I do. Do you believe in God? No. Okay. After Ethan makes more attempts at trying to get the detectives to tell him what they know, he has a massive shift in his behavior. Prior, he seemed okay, but he's suddenly talking differently and even using a different accent. He's also dropped his barrier. One thing to note is that he appears very uncomfortable with the detective being in his personal space, and he's backed into the corner with no easy access to the door. However, this is a strange reaction to have being asked if he knows the difference between right and wrong. It doesn't make logical sense as a trigger for the average person. So perhaps it's something that's been said to him in the past. The surveillance camera outside absolutely shows nobody went in or outside of your, of your house. Do you understand that? Okay. What am I telling you? That you guys need to check the back. The only person. No, there is no, no back. 
The only person that went in, there's no back door, it's locked with the thing. The only there's no, I, I locked that back door. Listen to me, the door was locked. A bad guy can't lock the door on his way out. I locked the back door. Now listen to me. Mm-hmm. Listen to me. If you say you know the difference between right and wrong, then a judge is going to have to make a decision on what to do. With this answer, Ethan throws his hands in the air, known as a gravity-defying gesture, which is a bit of an odd reaction. He's clearly agitated, with his body completely turned away from the officer. The officer is intentionally interrupting his lie so that he doesn't get entrenched in it, but it does seem like this officer is doing a lot of the talking and not allowing Ethan to fill in the story. You understand that? He's going to say, Detective Duggan, Detective Smith, when you had the ability to go talk to you, to Ethan, was he remorseful in what he did? Did he feel bad about what he did, or did he go, you know what, some other guy? I already know this. I already know these things because I'm getting charged with battery. The 16-year-old was a top-notch student at Bora High School, where he took several advanced placement classes and excelled in his academic career. However, his favorite subject to study was that of the criminal mind. Serial killers, to be exact. And what you need to do now is take a step back and tell us why you hurt your mom. She did something to you, or this was some fascination that you have here watching these movies that you acted out. Do you not understand this book? Okay, tell me about this book. This is a book. Okay, have you never even... Have you never even heard about books like these? Have you never even heard about books like these? Tell me about it. Do you not understand the concept of the idea of the business world itself? Tell me what is that. Why don't you look at Patrick Bateman as a business himself? What does he do? And when they get in his way, he knocks out. What do big business in Wall Street? What does Walmart do? The modern pop shops. They knock it out. You gotta understand. I'm in AP English. I've been analyzing this stuff beyond belief because this is my author study. It's clear that Patrick Bateman's fictional success in the world of Wall Street banking has had a profound effect on Ethan, and he seems to think he's of the same mindset. However, his other likenesses to the character are far more disturbing. Because, you know. I understand what he's doing. If you've seen his books, he's making this Here's something I do understand. Here's something I do understand. I think right now you're scared. I'm scared. You're scared. I don't want to You're scared of what you did and you're afraid of what's going to happen to you. A. And B, you're not willing to admit that what you did. The detectives have missed a couple of opportunities to build rapport with Ethan, which could have aided their interview. For example, they could have tried to relate to him over his interests. It seems like they're pushing too quickly without rapport, and at this point, it's just making Ethan more and more angry. Because of this, we're missing key parts of Ethan's background, such as why exactly he started bulking up. Do you have a conscience? Do you have a conscience? Do you feel bad about what happened in there? I'm not sure you do. I'm not sure you feel bad about what happened in there, Ethan. It's eating you up inside, isn't it? What's he, yeah. what, what, what you did to your mom? What did that mean to my mom? What you did to your mom was you hurt her very bad. Hurt her very bad. And she's living. No, she isn't. Why isn't she? That's 
that ain't hurting very bad. Why would I kill my mom? You got you know what? Okay. The door was locked. Hello, do you not understand that when I get home, I like the doors? So you have some 360-degree camera in my house, huh? Is that what you're saying? That you can see that someone coming in from the back? You're not. The detective had tried to minimize, and it backfires, resulting in Ethan getting upset that he doesn't acknowledge that his parent is dead. For being so young, Ethan is challenging the detective in a very bold manner. He hasn't been emotionally broken down by the interrogation process and seems to be trying to hang on, even though he appears to be struggling with his speech. Fingerprints? Those are my weights. I didn't didn't hear anything about it. What happened to the weights? The weights? Did you not see that I saw her? I saw the boat. I saw her. Relax, Ethan. Relax. No. How am I supposed to relax when I saw what that person did to my mom? Okay, what happened to the weight? What happened to the weight? Yeah. You really want me to go into this? Ethan is doing a lot of self-soothing leg rubbing, and he also finally squares his body to fully face the officer. This can sometimes mean someone is engaged in the conversation, but in this case, it's a very aggressive stance, and he's clearly anxious. What's interesting, though, is that when Ethan hits his hand on the table, it's way before he starts talking, which shows that his nonverbals are mistimed again. You really want me to go into this? His emotion, while still slightly elevated, is suddenly much flatter than it was previously. This rapid emotion change generally indicates that it was a fake display. By repeating the questions asked by the detective, it seems like Ethan is trying to buy himself time to come up with an answer. How am I supposed to relax when someone crunches her skull and rips out her brains with a weight? Tell me how they did that. How did he do that? Where did I tell you what that was? Hello? Do you not see the blood splatters? Can you not make it? I thought you were a detective. If you're such a detective, why can't you see blood splatters? I saw everything. When I turned on the lights, dear, oh my God, you gotta be effing kidding me. And now you're trying to pinpoint this on me? It's a little strange and telling of his actual emotional control that he self-censors here. Few teens are going to actually censor themselves in the heat of genuine anger. This more than anything indicates this display is an act. He's not actually angry. He's acting angry. You know what? Tell your prosecutor that I don't have remorse. I don't care. You don't have any remorse for this? I don't got no remorse for you. You know? Hey, but you ain't got nothing to better than you with your time? Huh? You, li- you listen to my dad? Is that what my dad tells you? You want to know what? My dad doesn't know work. Holmes is tripping. If you don't understand, that guy right there don't give a care about me. You want to know what? Really? It would have been better for the detective to agree with him rather than disagreeing to further damage rapport. Or if not agreeing, then he should have asked for more information. 
However, this may be the root of where his anger is coming from here. He thinks nobody cares about him and sees himself as a victim. He brought me out of his house the other weekend because his wife thought I didn't appreciate them. He said that word to the kids all the time. No, you don't. Don't tell me you know you do. You don't even know. What makes this interrogation all the more disturbing is that the detectives are only getting a small glimpse into Ethan's short temper. But his family is all too familiar with the teenager's intensifying anger. As investigators sit down with Craig, Ethan's father, he provides a brief insight into the troubled life that his son is leading. What I feel like I need to tell you right now is um, past. Oh, God! Ethan, well, that's something we're trying to piece together, sir. I, you know, I'd, I'd like to, to chat with you. I'd give you some time here to kind of collect yourself. I'm ready to chat. <laughs> he said he'd been wandering around all night, or walking around all night. And, and then I, I called the police. He's saying dead. And I couldn't get out of him, but I can tell you the first thing that came to my mind is he's responsible. Apparently, Ethan initially started to walk to his father's house following his mother's death. However, he apparently hitchhiked the rest of the way. When he arrived, Craig's wife opened the door. She was shocked to see that not only was Ethan incessantly crying, but he was also wearing a Kevlar vest. The protection gear made his visit all the more suspicious. When he spoke with his father, Ethan told him that they should not go to Judy's home, as her face was beat down. Horrified, Craig immediately called the police. Sitting down with investigators, Craig mentions that Judy had confided in him on several previous occasions that she was scared of her own son, and not for just one reason alone. As it turns out, Ethan was living a shocking double life, and behind closed doors, he was anything but your typical teenager. My mom puts dinner on the table. She gives me nice clothes. I have no reason to do nothing to her. I have no reason to do nothing at all. Okay. That woman... Can I ask you this, Ethan? What do you want to ask me? Huh? Perchance is there another part of Ethan? I can tell there's a part that... A part of Ethan? <laughs> another part. Another part. Wait, I saw alternate personality? I'm going to tell you, folks, MPD don't work. MPD's got more than a bunch of personalities. Ethan makes some very strange mouth movements like he's talking faster than he means to and isn't sure what to say. His fake laugh ends as quickly as it begins and signals a rapid shift in his expressed emotions. This is pretty similar to the Patrick Bateman laugh in the movie and is one of many indications that Ethan is trying to act like the character, though the similarities only become eerie as the interview continues. Unfortunately, the interrogation methods are being poorly implemented and the officer is jumping all over the place. Ethan is literally laughing at all the interrogation techniques because they're not being executed properly. Are you sure I do some little schizophrenia in my head? Holmes, I'll tell you because I know all the symptoms. Don't tell me there's another part of Ethan. Ethan is Ethan and that's it. Ethan has shifted the way he's talking, which is a marked change in the interrogation. By saying MPD, he's referring to multiple personality disorder but the detective probably just means how everyone has a good side and a bad side. Ethan takes it to the extreme, so it sounds completely insane, which is a common tactic among individuals trying to be deceptive 
and is a form of manipulation. The tactic is to take something small and innocuous and turn it into a mountain so you can deny it without actually lying. Ethan was facing a multitude of personal struggles, though he doesn't mention it. In 2006, the year prior, he was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and struggled with anxiety. He was prescribed various medications and began seeing a counselor who became very concerned in regards to his condition. They believed him to be a psychopath. Technically, psychopathy isn't a separate diagnosis from antisocial personality disorder, though a psychopath is part of a small percentage of individuals with ASPD who would be at the extreme end of the disorder spectrum. However, as he's 16, Ethan would not technically qualify for ASPD, but in extreme circumstances, individuals may get labeled as having a personality disorder with antisocial characteristics a bit younger than 18. And I think you're hurting pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are. I'll fall on the ceiling. No. No. Uh, there's... You know, tell me about it. Tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> I don't think you, you ain't no nothing. Okay. You're telling me you understand. We make mistakes. You know what? Do you know how many Ethan's I've talked to that's been sitting in that chair in 31 years of police work? Thousands of them. Really? Congratulations. Do you know how many Ethans have sat right there and told me, I don't know nothing about nothing, and I put him in prison for murder? Every one of them. Every one of them. Every one of them. Every one of them. Every one of them, and you're not going to be an exception. Normally, the detective shouldn't remind a suspect of the impending consequences at this point in the interrogation. What appears to be happening is that the detective is getting irritated with Ethan and taking it personally. He's not cooperating and he's being pretty disrespectful, and it almost comes across as threatening. Yeah, you want to know what prison is? I sit in a cell like full time. You okay with that? Are you dumb? Do you not understand how that system works? That's when Donuts Correctional System I ever heard of. All I can sit in a cell for the rest of my life and be happy and know your name. But no, you, you think you're, you're somehow smarter than me. You, you've been on the force for 30 years. You know what? I talked to your game detective, too. Guy was an idiot. Thinks I'm from some gang or something trying to tell me I like Fanny said. You guys don't listen to detectives. It's like, you know what? I could have seen this 20 minutes there of your BS by telling you I don't like Fanny said. I don't really like this full court scene. All that gangster scene, it's all just music. It's all just show. But no, Holmes is trying to tell me what it is because he's so smart. Typically, an innocent person gets angry when they're being accused of something they didn't do. But Ethan is unusually combative. Rather than being a sign of innocence, Ethan's faked and exaggerated anger is an indication of his immaturity and apparent social skills deficits. Innocent people get truly angry, and real anger or emotion doesn't flip back and forth like a switch. Ethan switches it off and on. As well, a mature liar knows that getting angry makes people not like you, and that affects whether they believe you or not. It's why typical liars and killers don't react as much to accusations and interrogation, because they know it will affect their chances of being believed. Teenagers, for the most part, haven't had the time to perfect it, as well, Ethan has learned aggression and anger gets him his way. 
something that most people usually learn doesn't work as effectively as sweet-talking by the time they're a bit older. However, this is of no surprise, given his past. Although Ethan was mostly compliant to those in positions of authority, most notably his teachers, he didn't show the same level of respect for his mother. Their relationship began to deteriorate when Ethan became controlling and would apparently bully Judy into getting what he wanted. For instance, he told his mother that he would like to use the master bedroom as his own and supposedly forced her into moving her belongings into the smallest room. He then took over the living room, where he apparently pushed all of the furniture to one side of the room so he could place his chair in front of the TV. Ethan would mostly use it while playing video games and watching movies. On the occasions when he didn't get his way, things would supposedly escalate and in a most violent manner. Ethan's brazen comments and interrogation show his lack of respect for authority, which is a red flag indicating possible conduct disorder or oppositional defiant disorder. He could be diagnosed with either of these disorders at his age and their precursors to ASPD. This isn't going to go away. This is you know it. This is your dad's story. Whatever. This is going to go away. Yeah. We're going to make a decision on what to do with you when we leave this room. Mm-hmm. What do you think we should do with you? <laughs> you actually think I want to let me go? The officer walked right into that one. Ethan seems to be running this interrogation. Notice the shift in his hand gestures to more lively movements. This is a marked change that he's feeling more confident. (laughs) Just let me go. Let me be. Let you go where? Wherever. That's not important. What was after? You just asked me. What should we do? What kind of question is you think for what you did? What I did? What I did? As I told you. What I did? Nobody goes in the front. Because because no one gets in the front. Nobody goes in the back. And it's just you. Really? It's just you and your mom. Oh, okay. So, uh, nobody. So, what we, you know, so what we could be saying here is, uh, Interrogation moves on to the topic of one of Ethan's greatest fascinations. There's there's an ideal of a Patrick Bateman, but he's simply not there. Think of it this way. Business. Business. He's a business. He's a big corporate business like Walmart. It's just right here at Moving. Is that where I can say? Yeah, it is. Is does something happen in that movie? Did somebody get hurt in that movie? Are you trying to tell me what I don't know? Or, or I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Of course, but if you don't understand... Did somebody get hurt in the movie? It's a book, too. Okay, so you have to know the book before you can watch a movie. So Same thing with any book. I guess my question is, 
help me because I haven't seen the movie. Who gets hurt in the movie? People that get in his way. And, and, and how is it they get hurt? Any way they can. Does he hurt his mother? Does he hurt his man? He doesn't even mention his mother barely in the in the movie. It doesn't mention his mother nothing. In the book it mentions mother, but their family's dysfunctional. If you don't if you don't follow his reading, you don't understand nothing about nothing. Tell me how you see your family in relation to this. Do you see your family? I don't see my family in relation to that. Ethan's favorite movie would turn out to be the film adaptation of his most treasured book the controversial yet popular American Psycho. Ethan soon began to emulate Patrick Bateman's character. He apparently forced his mother to buy him expensive skincare products, like those that Patrick Bateman uses in the movie. In addition, Ethan supposedly bullied Judy into buying him a white comforter for his bed. Patrick Bateman also had the same one. There was also Ethan's obsession with fitness, yet another similarity between him and the film's main character. As well, Ethan's mention of Patrick Bateman's family being dysfunctional is a further indication that he relates to and feels a strong affiliation with the character. As the interrogation progresses, the detectives will learn that there were even more ways that Ethan tried to become Patrick Bateman. You'll notice that Ethan also has the book Without Conscience, too, and some other fairly advanced clinical and forensics books. Either he's trying to understand himself, or he's been planning. Why would I go to my dad's house and go and talk to him about this? You know why? If I did this, you know why? Why? Because I was supposed to feel guilt. Did you feel bad? <laughs> you can talk to my my uh, therapist, Abby. Can I? Can you? Hell no. <laughs> you know they didn't get out on my side for me. I really do. You feel sorry for me? I really do. I feel sorry for you. Well, I'm not the one that's going to be charged with this. Yeah, but you're the one that's living in a world where you're controlled. Nobody goes on that Really? Because you got, you got cameras on that side? Yeah, we have a process to see, yeah, to see exactly what you left in there. Really? Yeah, we have it. What? What, what, I, what we will do, we'll go process it, and then we'll come back and talk to you and tell you what we found, okay? So what you find in there? It's only fair to go to I already tell what you find in there. I covered up everything. Okay. I covered up everything because it's a horrible sight. I tried to wipe off the blood. Why? Why? Why wouldn't you call the cops and say, my mom's hurt? Because what's the first thing that's going to happen? You guys are going to accuse me like you're doing right now. Relax, people. No. Forget that. Because you know what? You're not thinking of other alternatives. They could escape through the side window. The detectives do have to consider that Ethan may be telling the truth. If there was an intruder, it's possible that they could have committed the heinous crime and escaped through a window. But investigators find this to be unlikely. Especially given the fact that it would have been a random killing, Judy was not the kind of person to have enemies. The dedicated mother worked as a special education teacher at Eagle High School, Family, friends, and her fellow co-workers described her as the epitome of kindness. However, Judy's life was full of trials and tribulations. She and Ethan's father divorced after having two children together, and in the year 2000, she was reportedly hit by a car while walking. The incident would almost claim her life. It was following her recovery that she went back to college and pursued a degree in special education, 
Wanting to help others overcome their disabilities, she took on what she felt to be the most rewarding job, teaching. To think that someone would want to take her life was almost incomprehensible. But evil comes in all forms, and it knows no bounds. Just ask you what you want to fight. Well, we're going to want to take a look at you and tell me what you want. I don't know what there is to fight. In what room? All of it. Every all room? room? Every room. My room. Every room. My room. On my white sheets? Can I get you a glass of water? You want a glass of water? <laughs> you want a glass of water? I didn't drink water. I already drank enough water today. Would you like some more? Why would I want some more? I already tell you. You're on my white sheets. We are going to go there. On my white sheets. No, you don't want to listen. Yeah, I'm listening. On my white sheets, there's a stain of black from the weights. Okay. I'm not that bad like no other. I made a white for a reason. Now, wouldn't I wipe that black off if I did that myself? It's bad timing to interrupt and leave when Ethan is ready to talk. This specific officer hasn't been doing well with Ethan so far, and he probably should have left earlier. However, though this tactic may seem counterproductive, Ethan is escalated, and the officer hasn't done anything to de-escalate him, and he's still not responding well to him. Walking away, letting Ethan calm down and trying again with someone else, is actually the best course of action at this point. As you'll see, they'll next try a good cop ploy and try to calm Ethan down. This attempt will have a bit more success. You're talking about what, what black stuff on your sheets? There's a black stain on the end of the bed. No, no. The, um, on your... On the end of the bed that are made by the weights. I saw it when I did not. of narcissism showing, or it may be Ethan mimicking Bateman's character. At this point, it's hard to know what is actually Ethan and what is the character that he's wholeheartedly embraced as his model. And, you know what? Street smarts. I would agree. Street smarts. I got better than any stupid idiot. Everyone I know, everyone's too easy to figure out. You know what I have is figure out 
what they want, what their needs are, what to say to them. The ability to understand what people want and the right things to say and do to manipulate them to do what you want is a trademark of a budding psychopath. You had to learn a lot of that, right? You didn't no, I didn't. I just had to watch them, and I could see. You learn. You, you're a smart. You're a smart young man. You learned this stuff yourself, didn't you? you write books. You educated yourself. Didn't have no books to learn this stuff. Figure out people. Right. Street smarts come just naturally. Street smart smarts are called street smarts for a reason. Right. People either right. have them or they don't. Right. People around here don't. So you get educated on the street. I get educated by being myself. Right. And I can see people. I can see their needs, their wants, their desires. If I want someone to, to even, you know, the size hint that I, that I want them to, you know, maybe like them or do a favor for them, I can easily say what they want to hear. I do that all the time for right. people. I tell them from my friends all the time when they cheat on their girlfriends. I tell them exactly what they want to hear. Okay. It's fun. Fun is to be because people are stupid. If Ethan's rambling is true, this is the definition of someone with antisocial traits. Individuals with antisocial personality disorder have a keen awareness of people's needs, their wants, and their desires. Ethan likely feels a bit more comfortable with this detective, so he's essentially divulging important information about his personality and his ability to be manipulative and to lie. It's disturbing the way he views other people just by what they can offer him, but this is also very classic narcissistic traits. People's value lies only in what they have to offer. This could also be another moment of Ethan mirroring Bateman's character. Ethan has brought up how he uses people, such as his mom spending money on him, that his friends are only useful to him for better weights. He also claims that he's smarter than everyone and is always telling people what they should do, and points out that he sucks up to teachers and attempts to manipulate them. Let's just forget about the cameras, okay? We're getting so hung up and so mad about these cameras. Right? Yeah, let's just forget about it, right? Let's, let's talk about your relationship with your mother a little bit. And you guys, and you guys want to look through all the clothes I have? I have a lot of nice clothes. She buys me nice stuff. My colognes and my and my colognes Armani code, that's $70 right there. Jump Paul Bourdain, I spent $100 on that and some deodorant. She spends nice money on me. Okay, right. No one's saying that she's not doing that, okay? Yeah, but, the, but now you're telling me that I'm killing her for the, the dear God fund that I'm, that I'm so dying and influenced by books. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of things that influence our lives. There's a lot of things that people, you know that, right? People get influenced are stupid. Do you influence your friends a little bit? My friends? Yeah. You should, because you're a nice guy. And so... People, if you have friends, friends, if you have friends, <laughs> you have friends. Every, all your friends kind of, everyone kind of influences each other, right? That's why you have friends, because you have things in common. That's that's why you're friends. I ain't got no things in common with my friends. Nothing at all. I you hate way my too. friends. You way <laughs> yeah, that's it's because he has better waist. That he just wanted to work out. I just needed a better, you know, since he's got a better waist, then why not take advantage? That guy's a little small little guy. 
he said anything different from what I said, he knows I'd take him. Do you think that influences him a little bit, though? That if you... Man, I don't, he knows you can beat him up. I don't care if I influence my friends because I don't like my friends. Well, what I'm getting back to is you said that only stupid people are influenced. My friends are stupid. <laughs> okay. My friends are dumb. I don't know your friends, so I'm They're not going to say what they are. When, when I... When, you know what? Anything... When I give them a piece of advice or tell them what they should do, they never listen. It always turns out the way that I told them that it happened if they didn't listen. Like, oh, well, you're right. Well, it's like, no, duh. I know how the world works. I'm not freaking retarded like you guys. Even though it seems like everything is making Ethan mad, he seems to be intentionally pulling the detectives into arguments to distract them, and it's working really well as a great deflector. They're caught up trying to argue points with him and engaging in a power struggle. So you make all your own choices. No one influences you at all. Man, I can develop little, little, little portions the way I act. I develop that. Sure. But I don't change my whole character on that. I can. I can. I can change any character thing to any character I want to be. Typically, when an interrogator offers a theme, such as being influenced in this case, they would move on from it if the suspect doesn't agree. However, the officer may be trying to agree with them so he will calm down and move on. He's also trying to stroke Ethan's ego since he's probably figured out by now that Ethan has narcissistic and antisocial tendencies. One thing that is particularly interesting is that this disdain of his friends also is reflective of the Patrick Bateman character. It also sounds like he's getting this from his books on psychopathy. He's molded himself into this person and just built his world around it. People with antisocial traits are often considered chameleons in the sense that they can adapt themselves to practically any situation and can warm up to other people easily in order to manipulate them and get what they want. It seems that Ethan did just that. However, when it came to his mother, he supposedly felt that intimidation alone would be enough to control her. According to police documents, Judy would become upset on various occasions when Ethan's friends were at the house. Supposedly, a few of the high schoolers would use substances, and Judy did not approve. However, Ethan grew angry and regularly argued with his mother, even reportedly punching a hole in one of the home's walls. But this was just the tip of the iceberg. Your buddy over there, you know, doesn't hasn't done his homework on, you know, just because I watch movies. Does he not understand that most of my books, my my reference books, are all on psychopaths? The psychopathic mind. Because I've always been trying to figure this out. Who are some of the greatest and smart? Well, Nancy Donald was a sissy. Daisy, dude, guy, how many people did he kill? What was he? He was he was a, a hired deputy at times. Clown, knew knew different people. Ted Bundy, he had a great eye. This man did so many things. Great lawyer, represented himself really great. Even the judge, but he said, "I'm sorry to do this." Because I would have loved to have you practice in my court. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that part. Yeah. Wow. 
He said that the guy worked with the Republican Party for a little bit. He worked with some of that. He did a lot of things that were just out and amazing of, of character. But it all continues down to one thing. How does his mind work? American Psycho, that's just because that's what my author studies on. We got to do a big project on this author. I like Brad Easton Ellis. He's a good writer. But all this stuff, I don't know the, the name they call for it, the, the writers call for it, but it's all about making fun of the way certain things are because, you know, it's, it's truly there, but, you know, they kind of take it to a point of, I mean, you see, this is truly, truly, I mean, you know, absurd. Though these are accurate observations, it seems that Ethan has taken the contents of the story to heart. But just because a person reads a book doesn't mean that's how their, new, their life is going to be. Let me ask you this, Ethan. Have you ever heard of cases before, or people before? And you've, had, you've read a lot, so you probably have. Have you ever heard of people before who have been influenced by... It seems like Ethan is going off on a tangent, but the detective switches gears and further questions him regarding his relationship with his mother. My mom and I have been getting along for a while now. You know, there's been times where, you know, she's gotten on my nerves because she said my friends were too loud or something like that, and she, like, you know, shut your door. That's normal. But, you know, and we got into arguments like that, but... Whatever my old man saying about her calling him up, man, she wouldn't even call that loser up. Have you ever had um, uh, arguments with your mom and your dad saying so come pick you up? You stay the night with your dad's house. Yeah, she does that all the time, but that's because she's a whiny baby. She's in the drama. Yeah, she's a whiny baby. My dad comes up the next day, and I was ticked. Because I'm watching, this is when we had Dread TV. I was watching the, the longest yard, the old version. I never saw that before. I can't rent that. He makes me turn it off. He's trying to talk to me. He calls up an officer because I walk out. I'm like, you know what? You're full of crap. Because he's trying to tell me how I should feel and tell me how life is. That hasn't been around since I was six. He's been gone since I was six. I made him cry when the officer left. No. I mean, I cried before, but he tried to hold it in. And when I went outside, the officer was like, well, it looks like your family's about to cry. I'm like, yeah, they kind of sometimes tend to do that. It's like, well, you know, you've been, you seem to be a nice person, and, you know, you seem 
Ethan fails to mention the terrifying reason behind Judy's concerning phone calls to her ex-husband, but that will be revealed shortly. You think that both your mom and your dad are kind of real dramatic? They kind of... My mom, she has, you know, she's depressed. And I'm, I'm pretty, and I'm pretty sure that she was on the scale. But I mean, I couldn't, you know, on, 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 she was at least on the scale by the way she acted. I knew it, but. Parents. It's sometimes it's tough, man, being 16, getting along with your parents all the time, isn't it? I remember. Well, I, I don't, you know. I remember being grounded for a year. Back in those days, that's what the parents did. They take a swing at you until you learn how to catch that hand. And it's like, uh-uh. You know, you, you catch that hand, they got no power Ethan claims that he can't remember the last time that he and Judy got into an argument. He states that recently they've been getting along. However, his definition of a harmonious relationship may be drastically different than that of his mother's. You know, I was talking to my stepmom about getting in with someone because my therapist, I can't see him every week. I can barely ever see him every two weeks if I'm lucky. But, you know, he says to me, my dad, you know, I'm like, well, I'd like to, you know, get in with someone that's, you know, every, every week. And my dad's like, well, we could just do two weeks, you know, every two weeks. Be a lot less cheap. I was ready to slap that. I swear to God, that stuff doesn't even work. He plays music at bars to get a little extra cash. The money that's made, it's made all by the wife. You know, and I, I already know when I went in there, she already thought that I did that. that. That I was the one that did that. I could tell, you know. I didn't even know. Tell by the way he talked to you, the look on his face. I didn't look at him, man. I you didn't look at him at all? No. I, I was trying to hold up vomit, trying to, you know, bawl my eyes out and stuff. I didn't know. I've seen dead people. I ain't never seen dead people in real life. Before I left, you know, I covered up my mom. I started to wash out the walls, you know, but I was like, you know, there's too much. It was a big, too splattered. You know, I, I put, the, put the dog and the cat in her room. I mean, the dog and cat were already in the room, but the dog was shaking. You know, the cat, I had it. I saw her, she, she usually, I mean, she's usually in that room, but she was in the way because she don't write and stuff. And I put her in there and just, we had some stuff full of dog food and cat, and I just dumped it on the floor, put some, filled out some water stuff, put a candle in there, and just you know, close the door, turn off the light. I was scared. I blood. Just like, I'm 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 like, I
There's a strange, sudden change in his speech patterns here, almost like a different person is talking. This is probably more normal speech for Ethan, and his other speech patterns have been him acting like a character modeled on Bateman. It's an unnerving display and perfectly demonstrates the way that a psychopath can be a chameleon, mimicking mannerisms and gestures that aren't inherent to themselves. Ethan states that he used a couple of wash rags to wipe the blood off the walls, but it's still extremely suspicious that he even cleaned part of the crime scene before going to his dad's house. Apparently, on January 25th, 2007, while Ethan's neighbor was driving around at 1.30 in the morning, he spotted Ethan walking along the street. According to police documents, he shouted Ethan's name out of his car window. It was loud enough to where there was no doubt that Ethan could hear him. However, the teenager kept walking. This officer is really doing a much better job with Ethan. He's much more relaxed and there are no major signs of anxiety. I'm sure it happened to me. No, it didn't. Listen to me, but let's 
just think about you know, how terrible this was to your mom. They had they had a knife. Okay. They had I don't have knives. There I I couldn't see this person who's dark. I knew they had a knife. Okay. And this I know it's long. Long. It's a longer knife okay. than any of the ones I have. But he made me Did the one knife that is semi sharp. Make it look like I did it. It's my weight. It's my knife. I mean, truly. Check it. Check it out. I mean, truly. Do you know what? I mean, because I, I don't even know. There's probably not going to be nothing on camera. I don't know. No, she was dead by that time. Before you put the knife in her head, she was already dead. Yeah. Okay. She was already dead. But. You're not. What kind of knife was it? It's a small Winchester. Ethan claims to have got the knife from his father, and he states that he keeps it in his bedroom at his mother's house. The only thing I can show that it wasn't me is, look, look how deep the knife cuts were. That knife couldn't do deep knife cuts. Too dull to do the deep knife cuts. Well, no, no, no. I mean, it's not dull. Um, lengthwise. Lengthwise, that's what I'm saying. So the blade on a knife is not long enough to do all that. I don't know. I, I mean, truly, that's the only way. That, I mean, if a camera shows something, then I don't know what to do, man. Wait, so, so I, all, all you did with that knife was stick it in her head? Yeah, you know, How I mean, far into her head did it go? I, I don't know. I mean, you just watch it, you know, you had a knife. That you what about on her head? When it cracked your skull, there was, there was a brain that was, I don't know what it was. Okay, we're just taking a knife in now. He cracked it around here, man. So her eye was closed, but you could see that she still had the eyes, but you know, you could see inside. It made me lodge it, just put it in there. Inside her brain? Inside the skull, or was it? Inside the brain, because it, it must have been cracked, because there was blood everywhere. And she loved you, I mean, that's... that's and I loved her, man. I know you did. I know you did. It might have been my brother, I don't know. But, you know, earlier, I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, because earlier, you know, she went out to get with him to buy groceries for him. I'm just wondering how he made my money. During the afternoon of Wednesday, January 24th, just before her death, Judy, her son Mason, and his girlfriend went grocery shopping together around 6 p.m. Following their errand run, Judy made her way back to her house, while Mason and his girlfriend departed for their home. Once they arrived, Mason realized that they had accidentally taken some of Judy's food, and he quickly drove to her house. According to police documents, Mason only saw Ethan at the house, but not his mother. It's unclear as to what time this took place. However, Mason left the residence thinking nothing of the situation. Little did he know, he would never see his mother again. Listen, you know, what I'm talking about is being able to say everyone in this world does things to look back on and say, 
person in there. I was like, no, I'm Man, just hook me and books me. You know that, okay? You know that. I know you don't. I do. I know the truth. I was there. I saw her face. Wow. There's a delay with his illustrators here. His words come out before his hands hit the table, which is another instance of brain and body misalignment. But I didn't do it. Ethan seems to resort to aggression when he's angry and emotional. He may have been having an emotional moment here, and then it's like a switch is flipped. This is a red flag indicating that when he gets angry, he may not be able to control his impulses. He seems very used to using his size and aggression to intimidate and control others, like his mother. The officer handles this perfectly by not even seeming to blink and stands his ground. But he also doesn't push, just allows Ethan to react and show more of who he really is. Ethan turns dark here as he maintains unwavering eye contact with the detective. The teenager's intimidation tactics are like those of someone much older and far more experienced at victimizing others. He inquires about the detective's personal life, but the detective leaves before Ethan can berate him any further. While he's waiting, Ethan begins a string of odd behavior. Finally, the detective re-enters the room where Ethan appears to have calmed down. Woke up and went in. You know, comes out loud with Tom. He went in and um, saw this guy in the mom's room. He said it was real dark and yeah, couldn't make out who it was or anything, but that he had stabbed your mother, right? And he said, Yeah, how big say he had a knife. And, uh, yeah. um, and 
aimed at you. Ethan claims that he has no idea what the person looked like, but he alleges that it could have been his brother, Mason. When he's confronted with something, Ethan keeps saying, yeah, but he's trying to weakly justify what he did, and the detective is slowly poking more and more holes in his story. The detective is likely under the impression that Ethan's spinning a complete lie. However, he doesn't want to outright confront him again, seeing how the teenager's emotions can go from one extreme to the next. Why did you change the message on the phone? Why? Because I didn't know where I was going. I didn't, you know, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't want anyone, you know, coming over to our house or calling, you know, because I tried to find her cell phone. I couldn't find it. But I didn't, I didn't want no one coming over to our house. Why did you run over your house? Or anywhere, you know, to see that? Come over by surprise, by asking. So 
small amount, if they call him, or if her work calls, or if my school calls, that's the message they get around somewhere else. Because I was just wandering the streets. I didn't even know where I was going to go at first. Strangely enough, following his mother's gruesome death, Ethan decided to change the voice message on the answering machine for their home phone. Hey, this is the Wyndham residence. If you're trying to reach you or Ethan, uh, we're actually out in Washington right now. Uh, I have a couple of family problems, so we had to take a trip out there. I'm sure we'll be in back by next week. Bye. But this was only one of two messages that Ethan made. In another chilling recording, we're able to hear what he sent to one of his friends the same night his mother died. The messages are cause for suspicion, to say the least, but the disturbing fact lies in their similarities to the movie American Psycho. During the film, after murdering one of his victims, Patrick Bateman changes their answering machine, stating that they would be out of town. After taking the lives of several other victims, he calls his secretary, informing her that he would not be coming into work the next day. The eerie resemblance between Ethan's behavior and the film character's actions have authorities extremely on edge as they brace themselves for what's about to come next. How did your ski gloves get all bloody? Ethan, this guy is sitting smaller than you, and you've got a knife in your hand, and this whole time inside the house, and you never once try to take him off. You never once. I mean, he's a smaller guy than you, and you're a real strong guy. a big knife. Just be, it could, it could just be one 
people on drugs don't just randomly pick a house and go in there and do Yeah, but they were, but they've been, uh, I mean, they know where I live. And, you know, they've seen me around. My buddy. Ethan is again saying, you know, which is another sign of deception because he's trying to convince the detective. A question that he never really answers at this point is why he didn't try to attack or stop the person who killed his mom. The officer does a good job getting him to admit he knows how to fight and take care of himself, which is a great way to confront this inconsistency in his story. There's a reason. You and I just can't come and understand. I didn't tell me your reason. I don't know the reason, Ethan. That's why I want to talk to you. That's why I keep talking to you, Ethan. Ethan's attempt to put on an innocent facade is masking an array of dark and twisted secrets. But little does he know, authorities are learning new information as they speak. Judy's best friend has plenty to say about the disturbed 16-year-old. He bullied her, and she, and she said, he scares me. She said that. I'm not making it up. And that's what I told her. I said, you know, it's not normal to be afraid of your own kid. And I said, he needs his ass kicked, is what I said. <laughs> and I said, we can arrange that. But, you know, she's my best friend, and I don't want to, I don't want him to be hurt or anything, and neither did she. I don't think she wanted um, him to hate her any more than he already did, which is sad because she was the only one that did anything for him ever. How did she spend her time after school? She came she slept. Depressed people do that a lot. She didn't like to do things in her house. She, I know she was out in her backyard turning over the dirt and said, well, are you going to plant grass? Or she was, no, I was just digging. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and she walked a lot. She said, why should I like to be outside so much? You know, I kind of, now I look back and I think, well, if she didn't want to be in the house with Ethan and, you know, that stress, the tension, and cut it with a knife. Even when I go over there, I, it's an uncomfortable feeling. Apparently, Ethan's concerning behavior had drastically escalated during the course of the previous year. The once quiet teenager was transforming into someone completely different. He reportedly became abrasive while puffing his chest out at everyone. Not only that, but according to police documents, Ethan was supposedly using various substances, though this has never been confirmed. In an anonymous statement given to authorities, one of Ethan's assumed-to-be friends stated that he'd apparently taken some of his pills to a party. There, he allegedly handed them out to other students, the reason being so that the party-goers could snort them, and the behaviors yet again mimicked those of Patrick Bateman. During the course of the story, Patrick's dismissiveness, substance use, and aggression all increased in intensity, much like Ethan's alleged recent conduct. But that wasn't all. One of Judy's neighbors recalled the roaring arguments that could be overheard at Judy's residence. They stated that the altercation seemed to have recently leveled off. However, Judy apparently expressed her feelings of terror to them in regard to her youngest son. Despite her fear, Judy never gave up on working towards a better relationship with Ethan. But he was not so willing. In fact, Ethan's rage was supposedly morphing into horrifying acts of violence against his own mother. He'd allegedly hit Judy at one point, although the incident isn't clearly explained. According to police documents, he would reportedly go so far as throwing her against a wall during an argument before spitting in her face. According to one anonymous statement, Ethan reportedly claimed, I hate my mom, I want to kill her. 
In addition, police would learn that Ethan apparently told his brother that Judy would eventually get what she deserved. She had no control. She had, he had no discipline. I thought, before I heard the, the weapon thing earlier that day, I thought, you know, he just, I bet he just snapped. They were arguing or something, and he just snapped and beat the total crap out of her. Judy was living in constant fear, yet she still wanted nothing but the best for her child. And everyone could see that, but Ethan. He wouldn't be satisfied until he got exactly what he wanted, even if it meant committing the unthinkable. What would it come to your house and sneak around and go to your weight room? I mean, how would, how would anyone know where your weights are? If they come to that window, then you can just down the weights. Okay, so if you were going you were gonna come to someone's house and have them on these weights and manipulate these weights to use as a weapon. What would make you pick those weights up from the room that you're already in, go into an adjoining room, or not an adjoining room, but another room, and then manipulate those weights in another room before going out into the hallway? See, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, it sounds like someone lives there. Great big guy like you, big strong guy sitting in a chair in the living room. Your small little mother sleeping in her bed, and this guy comes into the house with a weight and manipulates his weight in your room as a weapon, and then comes out of the room. Why would he choose your mother over you? Aren't you the threat to him? I don't know. Aren't you the Man, big guy? Why are you asking me these questions? How am I supposed to think of it in his way? I'm not this guy. Because you're the one who's telling me this. I'm telling you as, 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 as about as much as I can figure. If you guys have got some other explanation, maybe, maybe he didn't. Maybe he changed the way it's now. Maybe, he, I don't know. I can't, I don't know. All I can do is assume. But that's about it. You're assuming. I you know. And that's why you're But I know. Like I That's why you would know take the weight up from one room, take it into another room, use the bed so it doesn't make a sound. All I can tell you is I'm speculating. Some guy's going to come in and rob you. He's going to, or he has a knife. It's going to take time to manipulate a weight. Okay. Now he has a weight and a knife. What happens if you don't stand a person in the right spot? They don't die. That's right. They make noise. Man, I'm only speculating. Okay, what are you guys doing? See, I could just say the same thing about you. You know, everything you're telling me, how do I know you didn't do this? I can tell you where I was at. So, and it wasn't at your house. Ethan begins another attempted deflection, but the detective doesn't play his game. Instead, he questions Ethan about a most unsettling topic. My question for you is, a guy who studies these psychology books that you have, yeah. and these crime scene evidence books that you have, and all these videos... What crime scene evidence books? The crime scene investigation books in your room. What crime scene investigation books? And the videos that you have. No, what crime scene investigation books? The ones in your room. I got one forensic book that I've never read. 
want to know who did that to my, my grandparents. I never read that. Mark, let's go in your room, okay? Okay. We have these psychology books. We have all these videos on serial killers. You have all these books on serial killers. I have all these books? Have, no, I don't. So let me, how many me. books do I have on a guy? A guy who reads all that no, stuff. No, how many books do I have on serial killers? One. One. One out of all the other ones. And top of that. What's that book called? It was called American Psycho. Okay. So on top of that, okay, so you read all this stuff, right? I read that book, yeah. What do you do in the morning? Every morning when you get up, what do you do? I wake up, 6.45. I usually sleep in a little bit. Take a shower, put my contacts in, take a shower. Then I go, you know, sometimes I have my clothes already out. Other times I just, you know, grab my clothes as I go. You ever put any stuff on your face? Mm, Not usually. I don't have enough time. Okay. We've done that in the past. It's kind of a routine when you get in the morning. You put this cream stuff on your face. Cream stuff? Mask. Mask type stuff. I've used a mask. I've used a mask pill. This is intriguing considering that Patrick Bateman had a very elaborate morning routine that included exercise as well as a multi-step skincare regimen that he followed religiously. Of course, what 16-year-old boy wouldn't enjoy using a calming face mask? Or at least Ethan would like us to believe that he wasn't modeling his own behavior after that of his fictional bloodthirsty idol. It only becomes more eerie from here. I'll tell you how little studying I've done on actual serial killers. All those books, if you'd like to read through them, one, I'll tell you which books I've read. And two, if you read through them, most of them are about killers. Most of them are about the manipulative type. The type that just live on every day. They're everyday citizens. Don't get into big trouble. Okay, which books are these? Which books are these? these the Psychopath Books okay. by Robert D. Hare. Is there a series on them? He has... He's the one that actually created the PCLR. It's the Psychopathy Checklist. It's ironic that Ethan talked so much about how most of the books he reads are about manipulative people, and he starts to describe himself. He's been playing semantics and going down rabbit holes to avoid talking about the real issue, which is who killed his mother. Even at this point, Ethan is still trying to manipulate the officer and trying to take control of where this is going. However, the officer does a good job staying focused. Ethan's fascination with the criminal mind was of particular notice to his teachers. During one class, Ethan apparently expressed to his fellow students that he was having thoughts of killing. Chillingly, he went on, supposedly claiming that there would be times when the thought was so overwhelming that he was unable to sleep. Ethan reportedly mentioned that he doesn't feel love or any emotion for that matter, and allegedly confided in two separate anonymous sources that he wanted to be a psychopath and a famous serial killer. In addition, he apparently spoke with one of his classmates, reportedly stating something along the lines of ripping her head off, before supposedly laughing in her face. American psycho isn't even have to do with real psychos. You know how 
false that is from how actual psychopaths are? I don't know. I've never no. been on that side. That guy, that guy is so, he's so perfect and so well-mannered that it would, it, it's impossible. Most psychopaths are impulsive. They, they don't respond well to irritability. This guy is too well nice and, and, and acts good around people and he, you know, He's not as manipulative as an actual psychopath is. It's just a book. It was almost as if he wanted to be exactly like Patrick Bateman. Ethan supposedly began to dress in business suits while carrying a briefcase, just as the fictional character does. But most perplexing was his shift in behavior, as his cold and callous demeanor was something that he wore almost as a badge of honor. And she would be wanting tears and... and According to police documents, Ethan apparently wished to be committed to a mental institution, but his request was never granted. Although it is unclear if he truly believed that he needed help. She called me up Frank and, and said, you're going to have to come and get Ethan because I can't handle him. I'm afraid, yeah, I'm afraid. I thought she should be overdramatic. She's like, I'm afraid he's going to kill me in my sleep. Despite Judy's fear, it seemed like no one was listening. However, the shocking information that Ethan is about to divulge will undeniably prove that she had good reason to live in constant fear. Yes. You're a psychopath. Twenty. Man, I, as a psychopath, I'd be truly impulsive. I don't get. I don't get into fights. Um, I'm not having promiscuous sex. And on top of that, you can't diagnose someone. I'm an Jail or out of it. Okay. 
think you're going to jail. Am I in my own cell? You're not going to juvenile detention either. Oh, do I get my own cell? I don't know. I don't run the jail. Why do you need your own cell? Well, no, I just like to be more alone and have to share it with some guy. I can actually get them sleep. I don't have my contact space either. Ethan doesn't seem to understand the magnitude of the harrowing situation at hand. His own mother is dead, but he simply doesn't care. I've been nice, but, you know, I do like to be mean, too. There's no, no one's being mean. You don't have to be mean. No, I don't. Where does that get you? <laughs> but why are you? Why am I being mean? How am I being mean? By sending you to jail? No, killing your I mother. didn't say no, for even just accusing me of that, then telling me that I do these things, then telling me I'm a liar, and then also, you're telling bud, I can tell when people are mad. Tom tells a big, big thing, man. Trust me, it's not personal, all right? You killed your mother. You'll, you'll say, you're telling me that. Tell me the truth, and I can arrange for you to get your own cell. That I can promise you. There is a law in a few states that is called the Hope of Benefit Clause. Basically, it says that a confession is inadmissible if it was induced by the remotest fear of injury. This is very rare, and it usually involves a statement made after the person is threatened to be physically harmed, or promised that they would receive a lesser sentence if they confess. In this case, Ethan asked for a private cell, and the officer said he would see what he could do. The officer also said, tell me the truth and I will give you the cell. However, it's important to remember that the Supreme Court has said that police can lie to suspects and the officer could be lying. In this case, though, it's not coercion because Ethan said he would tell the truth if he got his own cell and the officer knows that this is a juvenile case and because of the charges, would get his own cell anyway. Uh, sure, I guess I did. I guess I did or I didn't? Yeah, you did. How did you do it? I whacked her in the head. Okay, how'd you whack her in the head? Easily. Okay, how easy was it? Alright. That's how easy it was. Okay, tell me about it. What do you want to know? Start from where, what, what started it? I was up at night. I've been having muscle twitches. I tried to take some calm myself down. It was just a calling. It was a growing inside me. I told my psychiatrist, my therapist, that this has been growing inside me my full, full time. And listen, tell me, that's how it happened. It's a growing inside of me. What's growing inside of you? I'm chilling. I'm killing? I need for chilling. This is almost a direct quote from Patrick Bateman. It's growing inside of me, the need for killing. And that fostered into you last night with pains in your body? I don't know what it happened. I don't know what it was. The pain in my body, I don't even know what the hell those were. They weren't even pain, they were just body aches. Made me off balance. Okay, so what happened last night, tell me. Was I so up Couldn't sleep nothing. It just happened from there. Mom did something to you to make you mad? Nope. So you whacked her with the weights where? In the head. How many times? I didn't count. Approximately. 
Yes. I couldn't, I don't remember. She kept making, it was either she was making noise or Reigns was making noise. Like what kind of noise? As a, as a, as a, as a noise. A hissing sound? Kind of a hissing sound. I'm pretty sure it was the freaking rain. It's kind of, you know, kind of, uh, kind of thing. Okay, gurgling? Kind of, kind of, kind of, A gurgling and a hissing sound? Yeah. Okay. As you hit her with the weights? No. How hard did you hit her? Real oh. hard? She used both hands. Both hands on the end of the dumbbell? Yeah. Okay. And you don't know how many times it's real hard? No. Yeah, I just whacked her. Yeah. I entered in one shot to the side of the head. I wasn't sure if she was going to scream or not. Okay. One wasn't good I, enough? I guess not, because I wasn't sure if she was going to scream or not. I couldn't tell if she was alive or not. Making noises? Sadly, Judy's worst fear came true, and worse. Ethan doesn't seem to have the least bit of remorse. In fact, it seems that he may have been planning the sickening act all along. Throughout the confessions, he's coming across as arrogant, defiant, and confrontational. But what he's not showing is emotion. Instead, it seems like he's telling this officer that he doesn't care at all. And in fact, he's proud of what he did. Then I stabbed her. What's what? A knife. What's what knife? Knife. Charlie, you give me something extra to tell you where it is? What else can I give you, man? You want me to stand before what, man? What else can I give you? I'm giving you your own cell, man. Do I? Do I? So I'm going to... My boss, I'll have my boss call over there as soon as we're done here and make an arrangement for you to have your own cell. All right, and... Do I have to, so I'm going to have to go to court. Is this true? Okay, let's go to court. That's part of the system. Child, I don't know how you're guilty. Well, you still have to go to court and say whether you're guilty or not. I mean, come on, dude, you know. Do I get some, wait. How, how, I, wait. I don't have no, no things. I ain't got no shavers. I don't have my deodorants or nothing. We can get just personal body hygiene stuff. Yeah, my oh, my man. my personal body hygiene. Your personal stuff. Can you do that? What kind of personal hygiene stuff? Come on, are you? Armani and Jean Paul Gaultier. I use them everywhere. Ethan was fantasizing about killing someone for quite some time. Authorities would eventually locate his school planner, where they found several drawings of women being horrifically tortured and murdered. In the right-hand corner of one of the pages was a chilling to-do list. It reads, 1. Kill everyone. 2. Cut them into pieces. 3. Fry organs like the heart and brain and see how it tastes. And 4. Heart is an okay organ to eat if fried. It seemed that Ethan wanted to do much more than just commit murder. This is almost identical to the American Psycho movie at the end when the secretary is looking through Bateman's planner. You said you hit your mom twice with the dumbbell. More, more than twice. More than twice. I, I don't know how many times. Okay. Did I stab less, her? Less than 10? More than 10? I, I probably less than 10. I wouldn't have the strength in my body to which is wearing up to that. Okay. She's still making noise. I stabbed her in the heart a couple of times. With what? The knife. Which knife? The Winchester knife, or a bigger knife? Special knife. Okay. 
What special night? Where'd you get the special night? Challenge. My brother, when he moved into his, into his, uh, into that new house, that house was owned by some crafty. Those knives were just lying, lying around. He didn't use those. Okay. I took them from, I took that one from him because it was a special butterfly knife with a ring finger. Okay. Not many people have most of those. I know how to use a knife right. real well, real well, but... I couldn't get in the angle for the three-shot kill. Which is a, what's a three-shot kill? What are you talking about? On my hand. On my hand. On my hand. It's a one, a two, and a three, and you're dead. All the same quick motion, one, two, three. Yep. But you couldn't get that because of the way no. she was laying. How was she laying? She's on her side. Okay. And she turned over. I stabbed her in the thought I stabbed her in the heart. Because I was checking where my own heart was. And I thought I stabbed around there. Still, there was hissing coming from there. Or, or gurgling, I don't know what the hell it was. So I stabbed him in the lungs. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe I slid her throat before I stabbed her in the lungs. I can't remember. I think I stabbed her, stabbed her in the lungs and then slid her throat. A lot of stab wounds there. And they are more than just superficial. Okay. They're real good deep stab wounds, what you're saying? Right. I never even, I've never seen actual skin be torn apart like that. It's like paper, but worse. It's worse? Yeah. You know, clay kind of thing, you spread it apart. That's how it is, kind of elastic. It's weird. Kind of rip or. Oh, no, I just, I just went right in there. You know, it just got through there. And no problem. No, pretty sharp butter knife. Oh. Or butter fly knife. This thing is, this thing is a monster. I had the, I had the glove over her mouth the whole time. Or what I thought was her mouth. What glove? A blind one. Not sure if you slid her throat? I thought I did, but I wasn't sure, you know. I tried to make the motion. It's harder than it looks. Okay. Did you do anything else after that? Uh, I think I whacked her once more time. What's a dumbbell? Yeah. How does the Winchester knife come into it? It's just a ruse almost. Okay. So that was just another knife you stuck in there. For... Okay. Where's the butterfly knife? Very close by. Very, very close by. So you know that your pass is another pass by the mall. Okay. There's a bridge and goats. Mm-hmm. I tried to hook it over a little fence. I didn't even make it over there. Unfortunately, the butterfly knife used in the gruesome murder would never be found. What did you do with your clothes? What clothes? Clothes you were wearing when you did this. They're still was it the same clothes? Yeah. How'd you get the blood off you? It wasn't no blood. No blood at all on you? Charlie, they all got all over my arms. On your gloves? Yeah. On, you know, I made sure it didn't get all over. I mean, though there was some splatters, I got lucky. What'd you do afterwards? Afterwards what? After you stabbed her and cleaned up. 
clean myself up. Put the blanket over, stump over, fed the dog, cats, gave them water, put them in that room, the candle in there. Didn't find no money. She usually keeps in the purse, didn't find the effort. So, just grab as many energy drinks I could, grab some of my medicine. Strangely, Ethan also scattered cat and dog food on Judy's bedroom floor before making his way to his father's house. Ethan murdered his mother in the late night hours of Wednesday, January 24th, but he wouldn't arrive at his father's house until early the next day. I feel about what you did. Nothing. You don't feel nothing about it? No. Feel good about it? I feel good about it. I told you, I don't feel nothing. I don't regret nothing. I already knew it was going to end this way. I had my guy send him a letter. I know what the letter said. I was supposed to, I was supposed to meet with him next week, Friday. Funny thing is, though, <laughs> he's the psychiatrist at the jail. No kidding. No. It's pretty funny, huh? It's pretty funny, huh? Kind of ironic. Yeah, it's pretty funny, huh? I already told him I've been having, you know, these thoughts. Been always there. Eighth grade, always there. Always there, just growing inside. Just growing, growing. Since so eighth grade. Funny, yeah. That's how it's always been. That's just life. I continue to ask him, can you give me something? For impulses. Really, you couldn't give me some really? Too little, too late, you know? Why your mom? Closest person. I was thinking of going downtown instead of a couple of bums, too. They're worthless bums. You know what? They live on the street. Make up all these excuses for why they can't work. This is another American Psycho movie reference. I thought of going downtown to stab a couple bums. The interrogation has revealed countless ways that Ethan is trying to be the same as Bateman. In the movie, Bateman kills without provocation and purpose. Ethan said that he wasn't provoked by and did not have a specific purpose for killing his mother. Throughout the movie, Bateman tells people of his homicidal thoughts, and Ethan shared his homicidal thoughts with many people as well. Bateman tells people in the movie that he is insane, and Ethan told friends and students he was a psychopath. Bateman states that something horrible is happening inside him and that he cannot explain it, and Ethan made eerily similar statements about something growing inside him and having feelings he cannot explain. After killing, Bateman changes the answering machine to reflect the victim being out of town. After killing, Ethan does the same thing to their answering machine. It's unclear if Ethan even knows which parts of himself are real and which are just trying to copy a fictional character. Mom is the closest. Yeah, she was there. I was just going to leave, but she woke up and heard me leave because she wakes up quite easily. Man, that would have been a with some plans. So, besides, I was going to go kill a couple of bumps anyway. Why not add to the list? 
What the? So she woke up and you were getting ready to leave? No, no. No, she was asleep. She would have woke up, so you're saying. Yeah, probably. Got ready to leave, so. Probably. She probably would have woke up. I was sleeping about that, and I was like, well, you know. It's just so all I could have done watching TV. No, I was trying to go to sleep. In bed trying to sleep, or on a chair trying to sleep? In bed. You don't feel bad about what you did at all? You're okay with it? Buddy. There's things in life that want to put on your skin. I'm on. If I was meant to be born, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have been around. I should have been in a hospital most of my life. Or at least a live part of it. How screwed up I was. It's just called luck. That's just how it is. All this, this God, this faith thing. You either get lucky or you don't. And get lucky. Following the unbelievably shocking and callous confession, Ethan is placed under arrest and taken to jail. Consistent with what we've seen so far, in no way does he even show one ounce of regret for his monstrous actions. After taking a closer look into Ethan's home, a mountain of evidence was uncovered. In Ethan's bedroom were two toy figures, one of a man holding a chainsaw and a shotgun, while the second was none other than a replica of Patrick Bateman. They also discovered a rolled-up dollar bill with white residue next to his computer. In addition, they also found a blue American body armor ballistic vest in the living room. According to one of the reporting officers, he noted that from his training and experience, it's common behavior amongst many previous school shooters to have owned a vest of this type, while also murdering one or both parents. This discovery led authorities to believe that Ethan may have also been planning a school shooting. Not only that, but investigators located the many films and books that Ethan grew to love. Some of the most notable movies being that of American Psycho, Gacy, Ted Bundy, Dahmer, Serial Killers, Natural Born Killers, and The Shining. His book collection included many famous titles, of course, American Psycho, but also Bad Men Do What Good Men Dream, The Psychopathic Mind, Snakes and Suits, and Forensics True Crime Scene Investigations. It's clear that American Psycho made the biggest impact on Ethan, and in the end, police shockingly found 25 different ways in which Ethan imitated the character Patrick Bateman. In addition to the previously mentioned similarities, Ethan would also share thoughts of committing a homicide. He would regularly control Judy. He idolized material possessions such as high-brand cologne and body wash. He apparently bragged about having meaningless intercourse. He expressed how he wanted to murder the homeless and how he believed that his friends are stupid. But most eerily of all, the teenager wanted to fulfill his disgusting desire to murder someone in cold blood, and he chose his own mother. In December of 2007, Ethan Wyndham was charged as an adult with first-degree murder. He eventually pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. However, in 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that life sentences for juveniles were in violation of the Eighth Amendment, where cruel and unusual punishment is prohibited. As a result, in 2019, Ethan was resentenced to 26 years behind bars. He's already served 16. 
He will be eligible for parole in 2033.